This is episode number 225, How to Develop Greater Resilience, with Casey Berman and Scott Mason. Welcome, my name is Oleg Lokeed, and this is the Overcoming Outs Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being is if you have enjoyed any of the previous episodes or if this is your first time tuning in, Consider supporting our cause by making a donation through our website at overcomingodds.today so we can continue creating and sharing these courageous and inspiring conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is an invitation to all of our listeners to our upcoming experience called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. This is a weekly conversation that is broadcasted live through Facebook and LinkedIn where we explored the topics around the concepts of the connection between gratitude and grief, gratitude and resilience, gratitude and relationships in our lives, and many other topics. If you'd like to know more details about any of these upcoming experiences, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the time and place that each and every single one of these takes place. Last but not least, If you've enjoyed any of the previous episodes, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. All right, there they are. Long time no see. (laughs) Great to be here. No, thank you. Thank you both for being here and all the impact and everything that you've had in my life. Talk about a moment of gratitude. Maybe that this is my turn here <laughs> to express it. But I find it fascinating how both of us were talking prior to us hitting the record button. How it's been a year, yeah. almost a year on, on the on the dot when our paths have crossed. I'll, I'll never forget the first conversation I had with Scott, during which I th- we might have I think set out five or ten minutes. Yes. Was, <laughs> yeah. Right. And lastly, yeah. well, all the fools we, we were. <laughs> <laughs> it went well into the hour and a half mark. Yeah. And, and I remember the first time having a conversation with Scott and him on the other end taking just notes after notes yeah. after notes. Yeah. And then similar thing with Casey. Yeah. Remember yeah. when him and I connected, it was the same, same exact thing. But I think there's something to be said about when you meet people that you genuinely connect with. Like I look at networking and I shared with both of you as well as, as well as many other people through the lens of it's about finding a needle in a haystack. And I think in, in being connected with the two of you, I I would say that you two are, are needles or were needles within that haystack that I found. Oh, thank you. And, but you know what, you know what, when you see it, right. It's Mm -hmm. when you connect with that person, whether it's professionally or personally, you just, you know, it, you feel it. And, and I really encourage everybody to, to trust that feeling and, and to make the effort to do the follow-up calls. It's, 
it is a needle in the haystack, but what, but you don't you don't need that many needles, right? So <laughs> I will say there was a great book on the art of networking called The uh, Princess and the Frog or The Frog and the Princess. And it's a take on that story about the woman who has to kiss a zillion frogs before she learns, you know, before she kisses the right one and it ends up being her prince. So actually, maybe it's the prince and the frog. I could be getting it wrong. But in any event, the moral of that story with regards to networking is exactly the same as a needle in the haystack analogy. You have to kiss, kiss, kiss all these frogs, but then yeah. suddenly you are kissing your prince or your princess Yeah, and your life changes. Suddenly you get that bounty of wealth. In the case of networking, it's knowledge, wealth, it's companionship, it's growth, it's opportunity, all the stuff that matters even more than a palace and a throne. And that, when you've kissed that frog and you found that it's a prince or a princess, your life immediately escalates. That's happened in the case of both of you with me. Yeah. When yeah, did that no. when did that shift for you, Scott? When did this concept of networking really shift in in your own life? It's funny because I always thought that the ideal of having a good reputation and just being social was itself enough to make one a networker. But when I went into entrepreneurship, it occurred to me that I might not really know what I was talking about. And that's when I began to actually read books on how to do it intentionally and effectively. I was probably looking for some hacks to be able to walk into a room and have some ideas as to how to connect with people, how to begin conversations, how to walk up to a group of people that were in a circle and to be able to get them to feel engaged and get to know a little bit about me and to follow up with them. But really, when I began to do that reading, I realized that it was a mindset, that it was a way of looking at the world and that it was a long-term strategic and intentional push, push, yeah. push mm. activity that really laid the groundwork for it. The other thing too, is I always viewed it as simply a way to get another job or to get some sort of immediate tactical opportunity for myself. And one of the stories at the beginning of this Prince and the Frog book that struck me was this man, the author detailed his life. He wasn't that old. And he was, the author was at dinner with this man. And the man was saying about how these opportunities for these amazing experiences always were just sort of coming his way. Yeah. And it really wasn't because there was anything magical about him, but he had uncovered the secret sauce to networking that had opened the bottle that let that magic genie out. Mm. Yeah. It, you know, there's another book, how to get a meeting with anyone. And, and my business partner at leave law behind Adam uh, Oled is, is fantastic at, at implementing that. You know, one example is seems obvious, but when you do a zoom call, even in person or do a zoom call, but getting a, getting a, a coffee card and sending it to them um, or sending a little gift beforehand and people just a $10 Starbucks piece, whatever it is, gift card that you get in the mail or you get it. It's just such a, a great little gift and that you're already having a great conversation beforehand because they're saying, thank you for the coffee. This is fantastic or sending something. Um, but you know, let's get to your other point. It, it becomes ease. Everything is, is sort of easy. And, you know, I think in 
we're sort of programmed no pain, no gain in the world. And I know like we're going to jump into a lot of topics, but you know, I think we initially have a resistance or don't trust it when something sort of flows. And when you network, I mean, I think about all the people, Sky, you've introduced me to without me even asking and Oleg. And so it, it's a similar thing where things just flow. There's a secret sauce, connections are made. And, and I think a lot of people, particularly that I work with, uh, feel that networking is an audition and they have to be prepared and they have to know everything when really you really just need to to be yourself and when people see that sincerity vulnerability whatever it is that you want to however you're going to be um it sort of flows from there man i'm feeling left out considering that i haven't read either of the books just yet <laughs> don't worry we'll get you a whole curriculum <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> No, but I, I love the point that both of you made and you've kind of hinted towards both of these subjects of resilience and gratitude. And, and that what I realized was that throughout my own networking journey, when everything shifted for me and it was no longer about just the numbers, because that was a phase. Uh, I'll be I'll be honest enough to admit it, that there was a phase where I was just going into that networking just to grow the numbers because that's how I was, I was taught get on LinkedIn. It's not necessarily finding the Scott and the, and the Casey Bermans of the world, but it was grow the numbers as much as you can get to the 5,000, then the 10,000 mark, then the 20,000 mark. And then I started to realize this trend that many of the people who had those numbers and I would actually go through their profile, they had zero engagement across anything that they were posting. And then something within my mind just made me think about, well, What's actually the value here? I'm growing the numbers, but do I really know any of the people? Because if I look at <laughs> the impact that I'm trying to create through this content and it literally shows zeros across the board, yeah. then am I reaching anyone? Or is all this time that I'm putting into quote unquote growing my network just counterproductive? Yeah. Cause yeah. then I'm, I'm, it's almost like I'm wasting time and I'm wasting energy at that point. You know, they, as both of you know, call those sorts of superficial numbers that are associated particularly with social media followings, vanity metrics. And it's important, I feel, to point out the exact terminology that's used to describe that sort of superficial network building, because it relates to the underlying theme of today of resilience and gratitude. Vanity, it's about you and about your need to project an appearance yeah. to the world. Now, I'm not going to deny that social proof has some marketing value and that if no one in the entire world wants to follow you or your LinkedIn profile, it may be evidence that you're not putting engaging quality counting out there, or quality content out there. However, if you cross the line to doing exactly what you were talking about earlier, and I think all of us have been guilty of that at one point or another, Oleg, so that, that is part of the learning and growth process. In my opinion, resilience and gratitude are both highly connected with the release of vanity. And if you are psychologically tied to vanity as your measure for your presence and who and what you are in the world, then you're never going to be able to be resilient. Yeah. And 
you know, Scott, Van, it's a fantastic point. I'm happy you brought it up because, and I've never looked at it that way. So I'm, I'm taking some notes here, mental notes. But, you know, when I think of vanity, it is, it, it's this dualistic world. It's that person and, and then me, and hopefully I can look better. Hopefully I can be stronger. Uh, you know, when you engage, you, you connect, you collaborate, you become one. Right. And this is what all the Disney movies are about. It's what Bob, Len uh, you know, Bob Marley and John Lennon and Mother Teresa and everyone talked about. But there's a reason why Jesus, Buddha and all that and that we are kind of all connected and we're in these individual bodies. But I, I really like how you said it, that the vanity metrics, the opt ins, the likes and so on, again, is is really is, is needed. But it's not the only it, I, I think it's too prioritized. And so, uh, you know, when I think of engagement, I'd much rather have someone join a course or make a sale or come work with me or connect than than a thousand likes. Obviously, you're making money. It's helping grow your business. It's it's sustaining it. Um, but at the same time, you know, you're able to connect with a new person. You're able to actually help them or or they to help you. Um, so I, I really like it, and I think that is you know when it comes to 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 gratitude and and to resilience. You know, I've really found that. When I am grateful for something, you know, Oleg, you've mentioned this a lot. It's more than just saying, oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, for me, uh, being grateful, and and this hit me as I was uh, just in the past few weeks, being great. All my self-development has happened in the past few weeks. It's great. Um, but part of it is, part of it is sort of, you know, the second half of life is unlearning the first part and uh, learning a lot from the first part. And I think one thing that has really helped me with this murky topic of gratitude is, I, you know, really being grateful for something is sort of the shield to the kryptonite, if you will, of projecting of being egoic, of being separate. And it's helped me kind of deprogram myself, believe it or not, being grateful, being thankful, it keeps me in the moment. Um, it helps me be less uh, regretful about the past or anxious about the future. I mean, th there's a reason that so many self-help people and self-development and find, you know, so many health benefits in literally just appreciating what you have at that moment, um, even if it isn't what you, you think you want. Mm -hmm. What does that practice look like for you? Yeah, so it's usually, you know, in the morning, quiet. Uh, it's usually after I've written in my my journal. Um, you know, my daughter looked at my journal and said, you know, Daddy, are you keeping a diary? And, <laughs> you know, I've kept a journal in the past, which sort of logged everything in my life. And it's kind of nice to go back to it. But the journal I have now is early morning. My, I have bad handwriting, my chicken scratch. But it, it's kind of getting, I know that if I start writing something, um, at six in the morning, six thirty in the morning, some aha, something's going to come out. And even if there is no aha, well, that's an insight in and of itself. Like, okay, well, today is just I, I haven't gotten an aha. And so the practice for me really is is being grateful, not necessarily just to kind of check a box and say, oh, I'm thankful for that, even though that's kind of nice connecting with people saying thank you. But I think it's really a moment for me to realize that I have a choice. Mm. Gratitude for me is a choice. And it's a choice when my kids are bugging the you know what out of me and I just 
that or I can just realize they're looking for love, they're looking for attention or, or they're confused or hurt. It's a choice where if I don't want to get up in the morning early and, and go do something, but I have a choice about how I can really react to something and appreciate it. Doesn't mean I don't say no or turn something down, but I think gratitude when I'm in that moment is really how I'm going to approach it. For example, networking with the two of you, there was something there where I was really grateful that Sejal introduced us, Oleg. I was really mm -hmm. grateful that Oleg out of nowhere introduced me to Scott. And I just stopped trying to control everything and said, I'm just going to flow with this. I'm going to get to know these people. I'm going to, you know, oh, they, Oleg introduced me here. He wants me to do this. Sure. I'm going to do it. Um, so that's how it looks to me is, is kind of just letting go. Mm -hmm. You know, there are a couple of people that have joined us here. First one is Melody all the way from Massachusetts. Emily, who I've been connected with probably for a little bit longer than the two of you, but she brings up a very good point, which I think goes directly to your point, Casey. And that is there has to be a greater purpose for what we do to generate financial stability. And I think what you just mentioned as far as choosing to get up on those mornings where you don't want to do certain things. I mean, let's face it. That's, that's a reality for me as I'm sure it's a reality for the two of you here, as well as many of the people tuning in. And, it, and in that particular instance, I'm curious when that happens, what is that greater purpose for you? Yeah. All Scott, I want to hear what you want to say. I, I, on a little roll here. So I'll say that, you know, when, for me, I need to identify the fear. What is it that makes me not want to get up and, or, or get up early? And I think it's, it's, for me, it's a sense of overwhelm. It's a sense of my day is packed. It's a sense of I'm not strong enough to get all this done. Uh, it's a sense of I'm going to get tired. I mean, it's really mundane stuff, right? Uh, oh, I got to make money. I want to build my sales page, but I don't know how to do it. I mean, I could literally, I could waste a whole day just thinking about how overwhelmed and how much work and I'm not going to be able to get it done. Mm -hmm. So that notion of gratitude is to say, no, no, no. Okay, look, I'm, I literally, I'm strong enough. I can do this. I'll find a way. If I need to tap out midday, I will do it. Um, but for me, when I really shine a light, uh, Adam, my business partner calls it putting it under the microscope. But when you really get that anxiety and you really pinpoint, like, what is causing this feeling in my stomach? What is causing me to be paralyzed and self-sap? What is it? It's usually something mundane. I think I'm going to fail. Um, I'm not good enough. It's too much work, too mm -hmm. much paperwork. It's going to be boring. I mean, it's really something mundane, but ironically, this little, little thing is a big boogeyman, a big boogie woman that's getting in your way. Scott Mason, what has your experience been like? When I first left my initial career, which was, as you both know, and some folks who are watching this know, a government official. I, as part of my transition into a different life, began to work with a family of martial arts schools. And part of my compensation with those schools was getting to train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu and Muay Thai for free. An incredible compensation. What a deal. Yeah, I mean, it's like better than healthcare. Yeah. And one of the things that I began to do understand about myself in that practice was that we can become how we self-identify and we self-identify by thinking who and what we are or want to be and having that 
record for those of you who are a certain age or older or that tape or whatever it is that that stream play in our mind over and over again. And one of the things that I began to self-identify during that journey as is someone who is self-disciplined. And after a decade of saying to myself, Scott, you're self-disciplined. Scott, you're self-disciplined. The monster that I am is the monster that that internal recording has made me. That's great. So if I'm not feeling like I don't want to get up out of the bed this morning or do X, Y, Z, it stopped because after a certain period of time, once that rewiring has occurred, it becomes automatic. I say to myself, I don't want to do X, Y, Z. Well, then the voice comes in, Scott, you're a self-disciplined person. And I find the self-discipline to do that. That comes, by the way, with regards to gratitude. Mm -hmm. Every day, unless I'm really sick or just have some other intervening set of challenges that keep me from doing this, I go for an hour walk. I'm privileged I live close to Central Park in New York City, as well as some other parks, and I'm a, uh, a half an hour walk away from Times Square. So when I am walking, I'll walk down to Times Square and back or through the park or whatever little space I can find. And I'm very intentional because I identify as a self-disciplined person who believes in integrating gratitude into my life as a matter of self-discipline, of thinking through what I am grateful for. And it's amazing, once you open that door, what you find that you can be grateful for. I was walking near some rocks in Central Park on a sidewalk directly outside of it. I was grateful for the cracks in that sidewalk because mm -hmm. little green moss grew up in there. I was great for the, grateful for the ex existence of doggy do bags so that the owners <laughs> would be able to pick up that crap off the street and not pollute. I was grateful for lichen that I saw on some of the rocks yeah. because it had a really interesting yellow color. I was even grateful for some of the horrible architecture of those skyscrapers that were built in the 1950s and 1960s in New York City in this sort of brutalist, boring style because they really made the things that were built before or afterwards seem all the more beautiful. And that sort of thing can really help build resilience and the positive feelings that come with that more generally with asserting yourself as someone who is self-disciplined only perpetuate your desire, your drive to lean into that self-conceptualization. Yeah. yeah. Well, can I jump in? I don't want Go to ahead. have you. Ever... Mm -hmm. Yeah. So no, Scott, beautiful story. And, and, you know, two things came up from, from what you said. One is the, the, the older buildings, and that you didn't, you know, that aesthetically may not be the most pleasing. And, you know, when you think about it, everything's dualistic. And what is dualistic? Meaning, I mean, I mean, we view the world in a dualistic, us versus them. You can think of all of it, you know, San Francisco Giants, Los Angeles Dodgers, you know. So Dodgers win. I'm, I'm bummed out. Giants win. My, my friend in L.A. is bummed out. Um, that's okay. That competition is good. But, um, but you know, when we really think about it, us versus them, Democrats, Republicans, Israelis, Palestinians, I mean, you go on and on and it just keeps perpetuating violence and division and, and so on in life. But we also have that in our head. I mean, that's what we have going, but you know, when it, it could be 
old ugly buildings um versus 50s buildings versus versus uh, the beautiful buildings from the the late 1800s or, or 1920s or 30s, but when you look at it in a dualistic way, when you look at it as we're all one, you look at the the older the buildings from the 50s as the backdrop, and you look at the buildings from the 30s as as the profile as the one mm. against that. I mean, because I you know the, my backdrop, your backdrop, what we have, whether you have a Zoom backdrop that and the person in front, the body in front are one in the same. You can't have one without the other. The only way you can see me is because there's a backdrop to compare me against. It's, it's the trough of the wave against the crest of the wave. You know, this is, this is what the, the, wow. the Buddha talks about. Right. So the only way Scott is beautiful. What you said is that, I mean, these ugly fifties buildings to you, in your opinion, accentuate the profile in front of them, they accentuate the Chrysler building, they accentuate the Empire State Building and all the other ones. And so now where does that lead to? Well, you're grateful. You're literally grateful for these ugly 50 brutal buildings to serve as that backdrop. And it goes to something from David R. Hawkins. Um, I've mentioned to you both before, who's MD, um, psychiatrist, uh, passed away about 10 years ago. He wrote a number of books. Anyone, David R. Hawkins, I just find him on YouTube, buy his books. He's just phenomenal, beautiful, beautiful person. Um, and what he did is he really uh, associated um, science, kinesiology, quantum physics with all this touchy-feely stuff we, we talk about um, and saw it, how it could be exhibited within the body and, and your muscles and so on. Um, and so what he talks about, though, is when you're not grateful or what he calls the cheap little payoffs. I mean, think about the cheap little payoffs we get from being angry. Mm -hmm. We get from being holier than thou. We get from all the drama. I mean, if if my kids and family, my wife don't leave dirty dishes and it's 10 o'clock at night, oh boy. I mean, I'm so <laughs> just like, I am so angry and I'll just fume. Or, and that's a cheap little payoff I get. We get it from traffic. We get it from everything. Or I can wash dishes and and put something on my earphones or just say, you know what? I'm good at it. My wife says I'm not that good at it, but I think I'm good at it. But I can use it as kind of a calming, like just wash things off, put it in the dishwasher. Um, you, though, Scott, what you did is the lichen between the cracks wasn't an annoying thing of, oh, God, these bricks are so ugly. But it was look at the life springing through, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the buildings, these ugly 50s, 60s buildings, you said, you know what? They actually accentuate the Art Deco buildings, um, the doggy bags. I mean, talk about something that could really get you angry, particularly if you're not a dog person. But, you know, you looked at it like this is this is responsibility. People are cleaning up. So one thing that, you know, to the system, to, to the, the process of being grateful is I've realized that if I'm not grateful, what I'm after are these cheap little payoffs. And mm -hmm. anger is so tasty. A depression and and just being down and being all this. I mean, I know we suffer from it. But there's a lot of depression and anxiety in my family, and it is it's very difficult. Um, but whether it's severe or whether it's just this mundane anger, we all get something from it. And I think it goes to your point, Scott, around identity. Like I'm just an angry person, or I'm mm -hmm. just woe is me. Um, and I think when I'm grateful and have more gratitude, it enables me to see the backdrop see this backdrop of anger or cheap little payoffs and literally make that choice. Today is not going to be the day where I become overwhelmed, Casey, and woe is me, Casey. Today's going to be the day, believe it or not, where I have a new identity, which is what you did, Scott. You went from, mm -hmm. you know, career and now you're jujitsu and now you're like focused MacGyver, you know, martial arts expert. And who would have thought? Well, I don't know <laughs> if I'd go that far. 
<laughs> Quite the title no, to up to there. <laughs> <laughs> Combining, right? But but it was a new identity, a new identity. Even Definitely. if I'm elaborating a bit, but yeah. I want to I want to touch upon a point here that Richard Marx had made, which I think directly relates to what the two of you have been um, talking about, and it's this shared sense of responsibility when it comes to highlighting what resilience looks like and, and ultimately also looking at the gratitude. So walking in Central Park and instead of being angry at the fact that there are cracks within the sidewalk, appreciating the, the, the thing that's happening within that and that is actually physical life that's coming from within those side, uh, side cracks. I'm curious though, to what degree for either of you and maybe we'll start with Scott here, to what degree do you choose to take this on as a responsibility to help the collective grow? And then to what degree do you choose to remind yourself maybe that change happens from within and that you really can't change other people? So what does that influence even look like? I agree first and foremost that you cannot change other people. Although you can facilitate that change if in some way or another they're forced to have it facilitated or they choose to have that facilitated. They're open to it and they're willing to accept. And I think that the former set of circumstances that you know, which change is sort of basically facilitated by people being in circumstances that require that they you know, change that's very limited and i don't think that it's it's i'm not even going to really deal with that because that's such an outlying set of circumstances i do feel and it's a cliche to say right michael jackson you want to make a change look at the man in the mirror the or the person in the mirror is how we phrase it now for the better i think that being said some of the stories that we have around the impact of personal change and working on whatever it is from within, how that can create a light that shines outward and inspires or drives other people to be more or less like you or attracts you to them is these stories are, are become almost cliches for mm -hmm. a reason. Things become a Hey, because they ring true with us intuitively, or we know on some level or another that they are correct. Not always, but sometimes, many, many times with regards to a lot of these universal, universal truths or platitudes, that is the case. I do want to, by the way, go as an aside for a minute about mm -hmm. something that was said earlier that I believe does ultimately tie into this. And that's the concept of dualism, which I think someone in the comments mentioned as batteries needing both sides of the charges and, and Casey mentioned. We were talking a little bit earlier and we're talking now about influence, how we change or what we choose to do with our lives inside and the impact that can have on others is the means and the method um, or set of methods that we use to influence. Influence is power. I will say that dualism or the ability to use dualism to divide is a very effective way 
for those that are driven by vanity to accrete power. Mm. Us versus them. If you want to, for instance, create an organization that will become very tightly knit, rally around its members and stick together through whatever that organization's mission is, divide the members of that organization from those without. Mm. And when you do that, when you use division that way, it can sometimes really create a constructive outcome. Other times it can create real toxicity within whatever larger culture that we're operating within. I was at a panel right before this. It was of African and um, Caribbean American uh, entrepreneurs in Brooklyn, female. And they were asked how they navigate power as people that have historically been excluded from these larger systemic power structures in the United States. And one of the things this brilliant woman I know by the name of Karen Valentine said was that she does not view power, and, and, and she phrased it infinitely better than I'm about to, she doesn't view power as something that she grabs or that is accreted in the way that I was describing earlier, but that by throwing out love, connection, gratitude, emotions like that, building real relationships with people, it comes to her and through her. She's not seeking it for her own needs, but because the ecosystem that she's creating by being a good person in the world gives her the ability to have that influence. And when we have that ability to be influential, that soft power, so to speak, Oleg, then the changes that you were talking about when you asked the question come flow out a lot more naturally. When mm -hmm. we have that connection, we change each other sometimes just by being that inspiration, the Martin Luther King example, but sometimes we change it and others by changing from within in a way that we're doing exactly what Karen Valentine said. We're letting love flow outside of us. We're giving it, we're showering the whole world with it. And then those are touched by that love and they gradually are influenced by the power that that gives us. Yeah. Mm. You know, the duality that we're talking about here, and I do want to explain, you know, yes, a battery to, to the comment that came in, the battery has a negative and positive charge. It's the same battery. It's one. And the wave has a, trusted, a crest and a trough, but it's the same wave. And so bring up anyone, Republicans or Democrats, you know, we're all the same. Um, now, in our world and in the programming that we have in this divided world that that Scott's talking about where uh, it's zero sum game you know if i have power you lose it, it it's hard to it's hard to think that way mm -hmm. and so how do you think it that way one is is gratitude not just as a touchy feely bliss ninny uh, everything's great i'm you know everything's fine type view but it it i get a lot of inspiration from from Hinduism and, and Buddhism, and and the point of Maya, which which you in Hinduism is that the world is an illusion, and it's not necessarily an illusion in a I see dead people Hollywood movie. There's something there I don't see it, but rather it's an illusion in the sense that and Scott, you mentioned the word projection is that I can project any meaning I want onto it. Things are neutral. Um, you can look at this podcast and project meaning and listen to it and say, this is great. I love it. Or you can say, these guys are wasting my time. I'm going to go move on to something else. I mean, 
it, it, mm -hmm. it, there is a lot of relativity in the world in, in that sense. Um, so that's the one thing is that we can look at divisions but realize we're all one because really when you think about the emotions in life, there's really only two. There's fear or love. That's what it is. And fear is division, anxiety, depression, holier than thou, zero-sum game. And love is not just romantic love, but it's collaboration, it's connection, it's engagement, everything we went back to in the beginning or, or, around networking, it's, it's gratitude. And so when someone, for example, I think there was the comment Richard brought in about you know Los Angeles and being about vanity and so on, that's true. But one I would say is vanity is everywhere, up here in Silicon Valley. I mean, you go anywhere, it's all about me. Whether it's, I know they mentioned Washington, D.C. I think they said Washington, D.C. is just like Hollywood, except the people are much less attractive, right? So mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily need to be beautiful people to have a lot of vanity. I mean, I think we we know that, right? Look at me, look at me, look at me is something that's kind of across the spectrum across countries. What I do want to say is that when it comes to this duality, it's really difficult. But if you can kind of have your Truman Show moment. Remember Jim Carrey in that movie, I'm Dating Myself, um, where he sort of realizes <laughs> he's on a he's on a studio set and it's not his real world. Mm -hmm. If as 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 Hinduism talks about looking through the illusion and to the point we talked about earlier, Oleg, around making that choice, whether to be grateful for something or not, um, what you come to is you realize that we're all here together. We're all one. Now, play the part. Don't go bliss and we're all one to people at the supermarket. They're going to arrest you or, you know, like we, <laughs> we're all in this illusion. It's really just the choice you make and how what you project meaning onto it. How do you look at it? So to the point I think Richard brought up, is this our responsibility? I don't, I wouldn't call it a responsibility to change the world. In many ways, there's these do-gooders who are self-righteous and actually hurt every, can, can hurt. Um, plus that's a lot of pressure. Like if Casey Berman has responsibility for changing the world, I mean, so David R. Hawkins again, and a lot of people in, in uh, who uh, Jesus would say this, I think the Buddha would say this, I think all of the great sages have, have realized that someone who is more aware, more conscious, who kind of sees through the illusion, who is calmer, is grateful, um, their energy and their power is worth I think a hundred times, a thousand times more than many of us who are caught in, in this, who are caught in this matrix. And so my advice really would be is to the point, look inward, be the best you that you can be. And what that really means is, you know, being grateful, making that choice. Because as we've seen, the great thing about the internet is it's this technology that we can now, it's just scale. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's like writing letters from the 1700s on paper, but we can do it with so much scale. I mean, look at what Gandhi did in the forties before the internet. I mean, he literally made that choice to not go one-on-one -on -one legal work in South Africa, but then went to the subcontinent of India and literally freed at that point, 450 million, 450 million Indians from the colonial yoke. I mean, think about what he did then. And there was nothing, I mean, he was just all love. It's just amazing what that person did. And so, and that was before the internet. Think about what we have now. So my advice, my thoughts and for myself and what I would say for Richard is to really realize that you look, can look outward, but you can also realize we're kind of all in this together, which everyone is saying in the, in the COVID days. Um, do these practices, realize that that duality doesn't exist and and find a way, um, which we talk more here, but being grateful is one of those ways to make that choice to not look at the other as an enemy, but look at the other as really kind of calling out for help, calling out for love. Wow. <laughs> that was that, a lot. That, sorry, sorry, but Scott <laughs> got me going. I always pick up on Scott's energy and I just... <laughs>
The duality between you and me is frightening sometimes. <laughs> oh, like, step in, please, save us. I know. The, well, the first thing that comes to mind is in regard to the whole um, Gandhi comment. So I was recently watching a movie on Netflix. Uh, what is it called? Invictus? I don't know if either of you have seen it or anyone that's tuning in right now. But it's essentially based on the story of Nelson Mandela, him coming back after prison and then becoming the president and and stepping into that change. There were so many uh, light bulb moments that I had, and one of them is that level of forgiveness. I mean, here's a man who spent, correct me if I'm wrong, 27 years, something like that. I think he, uh, yeah, right, the 60s to the 90s, so roughly. 27 years in prison, and then he came back, and instead of choosing to be the individual that projects anger and um, some of these other emotions onto other people, especially those that put him in prison to begin with, he went the complete opposite route. And I actually read some things uh, on him outside of that film that demonstrated the same exact thing. So I think the power of forgiveness was such an exceptional tool that I realized. But I'll also touch upon something that I think relates to this topic that we're having the conversation today, today and that's resilience. The fact that he chose to stay resilient during those times when everything was fill in the blank, hit in the fan, and he just kept on going. And that, I think, goes back to a point that Emily had made at somewhat the beginning of the, this conversation, and that is there has to be a greater purpose for what we do to generate financial stability. I will actually push that a step farther, and I would say, in my opinion <laughs> – has this is a strong word, but let's use it in this case. There has to be a greater purpose just in general in life with everything, not only financial stability, yeah, but like relationships, you know, and, and many of these things. And I'm curious to hear from the two of you when it comes to this concept of resilience, because I know that this is something that I sometimes uh, brush off. And I think maybe that has to do with my ability or inability to receive compliments sometimes from people, but sometimes people make comments such as, man, that was so resilient. What you did at this point or what you did yesterday or this last hour to me, I don't look at it as resilience oftentimes because it's just like any other action. Like I've, I've repeated this action so many times where I don't even recognize that anymore. And so I'm curious to hear from the two of you, when it comes to this concept of resilience, how do you understand that? And what actually makes you resilient? I'll attempt a beginning of an answer. <laughs> By talking from the opposite corner. Mm -hmm. I respectfully disagree with you that there has to be some purpose. Mm-hmm at least as a statement of universal truth. And I say that as someone who for many years believed exactly the opposite. Now, right now, this were this point in my life, I actually do agree with you, or at least I would say maybe not has to be, but that an acknowledgement of it gives one resilience. But for many years, I was the, cynical, hard person who did not believe that there was any purpose except what we decided to make it. Mm. And what 
I decided to make it in light of the fact that there was no larger purpose that I could imagine or that I would accept as being real was domination over my circumstances. I didn't even believe I had a soul. If I didn't believe I had a soul, then what purpose could there conceivably be? I was just an organism that was here to live to the next day. So many people, I would say, are probably a lot like me. They might utter words publicly because it's not socially acceptable to say, I don't have a soul and neither do you. But there are a lot of people that on some fundamental level believe that. However, are those people resilient? I was not resilient. I viewed my biological imperative as surviving to the next day. And I would do whatever I needed to to do that. However hard and tough and unfeeling that might be. But I wasn't resilient. When life turned on me, I had to then reassess whether the belief system that I had carried around was working and could give me something. The sense of gratitude that I learned to develop was what tethered me to life, to a meaning. The concept that there might actually be a purpose was fundamental to my discovery of resilience. Because if there really is nothing other than surviving the next day, if it doesn't look like you're going to survive, then there's no reason to live. Mm. And if we don't have souls, we don't have any connection to anything other than our own biological imperatives, then you might as well just be crushed like a bug the minute you are not going. It doesn't appear as though the next day is going to be what you might think it should be. And so gratitude is intricately, intimately, I'm sorry, connected to the concept of purpose. Mm-hmm. Purpose, a mission in one's life, is what's given me resilience. When this pandemic came down, I actually felt hypercharged to my sense of purpose and my sense of mission, even though that sense of purpose and mission I felt were very much still evolving, and that at that time I didn't know what they were. Even knowing that they were evolving and moving gave me the resilience to face every day without fear because I knew that the soul that I had discovered that I had and accepted that I had was here for that larger reason. We don't have to believe that we have to have a purpose in order to survive, but if we want to be resilient, I believe that you're correct understanding of a reason for our existence other than a purely base biological imperative. It's everything. Yeah. What does it mean to have a soul? How do you understand that, Scott? I don't know that the answer is fully there. Mm -hmm. There may be scientific variants on this. There may be spiritual variants on this. I believe that the soul involves at least two minimal things. Number one, a connection on a level that we may not fully understand 
with things outside of ourselves, an existence beyond our pure body, even if it is as information that's being collected by the universe, as some claim, the universe is basically some, some information gathering device. That's the most cold, you know, scientific way to look at it. At least some would say is scientific. Um, and, and I would also say that it has, uh, it involves a sense of, of self-awareness, again, that extends beyond purely base biological imperatives. Mm. Casey, what makes you resilient? So when you think about resilience, it means overcoming shock. It means overcoming an issue. It means moving forward, even when you get knocked down. Um, you know, I think we all have our, our definitions of it. But for, for me, when I think about how I'm resilient, I think the, the biggest issue I'm resilient against or need to be is, is my own self, my own head. Um, and the, the self-sabotage that I can have internally, you know, I want to address. So with that in mind, I want to address a, a few things. Um, you know, the one where one way that I am resilient is to realize that we're all one. Now, what does that mean? I sound again, like a Disney movie or, a, or <laughs> some, some, some pop song, but there's a reason we hear that a lot. And to, to the point how I define the soul is that when in, in this idea of purpose, if you think about uh, the world we live in, it's really, you know, Newtonian physics, it's cause and effect. This started and then that happened. Um, that's how we view everything. And I think when it comes to gravity, when it comes to some things that's there, but when I think about the soul, when I think about purpose, you want to go beyond that. You need to think in another way. And that was sort of touchy-feely spiritual um, element, which a lot of people can't buy into. But quantum physics, this idea that there's something out there uh, is now layering in a scientific element, a way to quantify it, which now is making it a lot difficult to just kind of disregard what our heart is really telling us. And so what is our heart telling us? Our heart is telling us there's other ways to look at things. If you remember The Matrix, there's a reason people call the movie The Matrix a documentary and not a Hollywood movie. Um, and it's really what it's saying is that there are other paradigms out there. I mean, this is what Einstein was just talking about. It boggles my mind how everyone in the world knows who Albert Einstein is and what he, what he said. And we all have posters on our college dorm rooms about him, but we don't really know what he said. And this whole imagination is more important mm -hmm. than knowledge. Um, you know, people have been saying, Marcus Aurelius said it, St. Augustine said it, so many people have said it, and, you know, Pinterest is all over, Hallmark cards say it, um, it's written on our, in our buildings, on the library, everywhere, but we, we often fail to really internalize this, to internalize, internalize this idea around the soul, and so when I really view the soul is that there is something else out there. I am something else. I'm someone. So when it goes to the point around, I am something, when it goes to the point around purpose then, because I've struggled with passion. I'm passionate about the San Francisco Giants. I'm passionate about my kids. I like to run with my dog, but like I, I didn't really have a passion and, and that kind of stressed me out. So if you think of purpose or passion or what am I here for, you know, if you really bubble that up to say that I'm not really here for more than anything except to connect with something beyond what I am. I'm here to heal myself. Uh, this is why people meditate, to stop thinking. 
Mm -hmm. I'm here to go beyond my thoughts. I'm literally here to just stop and be nothing and just to pause and to feel and not think. You know, Descartes, 16, 15, 1600 France. I mean, he literally, Cartesian thought, which is what the West is built on. I think, therefore I am. And he got it so wrong. It's I feel, therefore I am. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. we're only realizing that now. But if all we do is think our thoughts, think about it. I mean, we're anxious and we're depressed and we're keeping up with the Joneses and our vanity metrics. So if I bubble up to a higher purpose, which is really boring, and this is why Madison Avenue and Facebook and all of those people throwing ads at us don't want us to think this way is because how can they sell us anything? Yeah, they can sell us the Calm app and yeah, they can sell us a yoga mat, but like how can, they can't really sell us anything and I'm a capitalist. I love making money. I think money's great. I think value and great products. But to the point of how do I find my purpose, it's, it's to heal. It's, it's to be nothing. It's to be empty. It's to empty the mind and just relish that beauty of non that chatter. So if you're able to get there, remember Keanu Reeves, the character, when he pressed, when he stopped his hand and he stopped the bullets, I don't know if anyone remembers that scene. And all of a sudden he saw the binary ones and zeros and he mm. realized, wait a minute. This is all a dream. This is all an illusion. I mean, the matrix could be a movie around Hinduism if you think about it, right? And a lot of what the, the Buddha said, he saw the binary ones and zeros and realized he was in a computer code, which is really kind of what we are. When Elon Musk says we're in virtual reality, listen to the guy. I mean, he's crazy about a lot of things, but I think he's right there. And so where I go to higher purpose is if I realize that really my higher purpose is really something boring, just to quiet my mind, that then I realize that when I am in the matrix, which I am, when I am in this illusion, okay, what do I align with? What are my skills and strengths around? Do I want to help people this way? Do I want to help people that way? Am I a good speaker? Am I good behind the scenes? Am I good at connecting? Am I good at just building things? So it's kind of a double layer of purpose. But when you realize that nothing really matters except for you to kind of heal yourself and to calm that chatter, then... Just focus on your skills and strengths. Focus on what you're good at. Focus where you are. Focus on who you can help. And that's something that you can do while you're in the game, while you're in the matrix. But always just kind of remember, I'm something else. I've got that lifeline. I, you know, the old days with the scuba tank, remember the, the, the pipe would go up to the boat on top. You know, if you think about in the 1800s and uh, when they would go diving under, under the water, think about a tank leading to whatever you call it, God, karma, nature, uh, the environment, the universe, whatever it is you connect with, just realize you've got that air tube there. And that's really who you are. That's Scott's soul, in my opinion. And then just have fun while you're down here in the matrix, kind of being the best you are and adding value and have a good time. If you read the gospel of St. Thomas, which is one of the gospels that was written earlier and it was kind of verbatims from Jesus, which isn't part of the New Testament for a reason, you realize Jesus had a great sense of humor he was really funny. He was snarky. Um, and he really was about giving power to all of us and, and empowering us, which people who build institutions and want an us versus uh, you versus me type of program don't want you to know about. So it's okay to be yourself. Have fun. It's okay to be depressed. It's okay to get bummed out. It's okay to be snarky and say the wrong thing. Just realize you've got that that air tube to, to, to Scott's soul idea. And, and that's kind of really, truly who you are, which is healing and quiet um, and kind of boring, not very glamorous, but really aligned and peaceful. Wow. Did I go too well, long again? Sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> first things first, I, I still haven't seen The Matrix. So I, 
that that's my uh, next thing on the, <laughs> on the to-do list. Yeah. But I think there's something, well, there are a couple of things that you really brought up within me as you were sharing that in, in this concept of thinking. And I'm wondering to what degree can thinking be a form of suffering? So, go yeah. Ahead. Go ahead, Owen. Sorry. No, no, no. I was, I was going to open that up to either of you. So either Scott or Casey, who would like so, to start? I'll just, Scott, if you want to answer that, I will just say that the only reason I can really opine on this is because I'm right in the middle of it. You know, I don't mm -hmm. want anyone to think uh, or even have thoughts, you know, wow, Casey just said a bunch of stuff. He really has. I got nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm dealing with this. And I think the only reason that I can talk about Descartes or who, who I can't even spell his name or Newton and so on. I'm not a, you know, I'm a liberal arts major is because there was a little voice in me that, that things weren't right. And I think that was my soul kind of coming out. And so I've had to do the exploration. I've had to do this journey. And luckily I've had great people in my life helping me still to this day. Um, so I want anyone to realize that as you're listening to this, if that thought pops in your head that you're not good enough, you don't, you didn't know Newton, you can't speak and engage, you can't ask questions like Oleg, you can't be engaging like Scott, um, you know, find your own way, but don't let that thought come in. Use this as an opportunity to really explore as to how you, how you can best heal. Mm. Um, so I just wanted to throw that, that out that I'm, I'm struggling like everyone else is. And if you haven't seen the matrix, like I haven't, Welcome to the club. At least we're in the same boat. <laughs> exactly. Scott Mason. To think can be to suffer. So can the failure to think be suffering. Suffering isn't something you necessarily consciously experience. Suffering can be something that builds without you even knowing until suddenly the bricks have all fallen on your head. Those years that I was talking about earlier, I was consciously avoiding thinking about certain things. I didn't feel like I was suffering. <clears throat> the dominant emotions that I allowed myself to feel sometimes were joy if I succeeded, victory, triumph, rage, anger, resentment. As Casey mentioned earlier, those are addictive in their own ways. I was experiencing them. I wasn't thinking, is there a possibility that I could have feeling beyond these? And my not thinking caused me to have to endure what I later realized was a whole career, decades of emotional suffering. So I would say thinking can be suffering. If I'm spending my time thinking about all of the futures that are out there that are potentially devastating or all the failures that I might have or all the screw-ups that I might have, if I had spent my time thinking about how I was going to sound like an idiot on this show when I came on or how screwed up my hair was going to look or or whether there was going to be a piece of lichen that we were talking about earlier sticking out of, you know between my teeth, then yes, I would have been suffering. It's like so much in life, developing a sense of what is or what isn't mm -hmm. the right balance for us to then move forward. But I would also argue that suffering is such an important part of life that I would not do anything without. 
You know, a therapist friend of mine told me, I told her, you know, it must be frustrating. Have She was my therapist, so she wasn't just a friend. She was my therapist. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think of her as a friend, even if she just saw me as a client, because that's, that's just, she just helped me so much. In any event, I had told her, it must be so boring to sit here listening to me talking about my problems over and over and thinking through all this stuff. There are people with a lot worse problems than mine. She had worked with war victims, you know, massacres, victims in Africa. And here she was listening to my little problems. And I said, you know, and, and half the time, I'm sure people don't get any better. They don't advance. And she said, no, actually, most people do advance. And she said, Scott, you're suffering. I don't find suffering particularly dull. And the things that you've suffered through in your life that took you on the path that you were on are things that you're genuinely trying to resolve. And I don't think that that's particularly uninteresting. But she did say this. There were clients that she had who had grown up in lives of extraordinary financial privilege. And I would describe it as perhaps just off the top of my head, parental privilege. Their parents loved them. Those parents loved them so much that they protected them from any sort of suffering. When they would talk about their childhood, childhoods, they didn't go through anything traumatic at all. They got good grades automatically. Or if they were sort of uh, potentially flailing, mom and dad or the school took care of it. They were popular. They were good looking. They fit into whatever the dominant social descriptors in their milieu were. And then all of a sudden, after decades of life without suffering, something came into their world and they were broken. Mm. And they didn't have that background of suffering to give them perspective or to be able to be exactly what we're talking about today, resilient. Mm -hmm. And so to think or to not think is to suffer, but suffering is part of the human experience. And it is the, as, and I'm not an advocate of suffering, particularly creating suffering for people that they, that they can do nothing about. For instance, I would never sit up and say, oh, let's massacre a bunch of children because, you know, without suffering, they'll never grow. Never would advocate for that. But the journeys that we have in response to our suffering, assuming that suffering doesn't kill us or otherwise break us, is, uh, is, is part of the growth process. I wouldn't have felt mega resilient when this pandemic first went down. And that's exactly how I felt. As a matter of fact, I somehow sometimes self-identify, in fact, I would say almost always, as a resilient super soldier. Throw the zombie apocalypse at Scott Mason. Good. I'm made for that. You want me there with you. I wouldn't have had that if I hadn't had to suffer. And so long answer to a very simple question. Bam. Hmm. There it is. Obviously, the three of us can have this conversation for the next two to three, maybe even five hours. But out of the respect for all of our times, I want to briefly just mention what are some ways that people can connect with either of you? And I'll start with you, Casey, and I'll, for those that are watching, highlight the website that people will be able to some, find some of the work. And so if you could share with us briefly, what are some ways that people can connect with you? Obviously, those that are tuning in on LinkedIn, please feel free to connect with them there. But any other platforms, anything you have coming up? Yeah, thank you, Oleg. Uh, so find me on LinkedIn, Casey Berman. Uh, and... Uh, leave law behind is 
the business I started where I help unhappy attorneys to leave the law, to find alternative careers that they love, that they find purpose in, they enjoy. And I've kicked off CaseyBerman.com, my first name, last name, where I am helping beyond just attorneys. I'm helping all professionals to find new careers, to do high performance. I'm really excited about it, to take what I've learned at Leave Law Behind and, and help the world in general. So you can find me there as well. But uh, reach out, don't be shy. I'd love to talk more about this and and see where we could connect and collaborate. How can those that are listening right now support you in your mission? One is push back on us and uh, let us know where you disagree or what other ideas you have or issues you have. Two is uh, heal yourself, look inward and really see how it's not even being your best self, but really to to find and, and kind of see what illusion you might be in. Um, and then third is to, if, if you know an unhappy attorney in your life, someone who, who can connect with a greater good, uh, send that person to leavelawbehind.com. Um, we are uh, his or her tribe. Mm. And Scott Mason, what are some ways that people can connect with you? I'm on LinkedIn, s.scottmason. I am on Instagram, s, oh, I'm sorry, Scott Mason. Scott underscore Mason, <laughs> all these handles, I, cannot, <laughs> I, can, I can barely keep on top of them. So, and then also my website, speakerscott.com, where you can find out more about my availability to provide speaking services at an event of where you need someone who can bring inspiration, power, thinking around issues like connection to purpose or who you are inside, building spaces for people to uh, really uh, try and build a better self and a better world. I have two podcasts. Scott Mason's Purpose Highway can be found at purposehighway.com. I see you have that scrolling below. Thank you very much. And that is a space for people to have discussions about their lives, to tell stories about connecting to their own higher purpose, to build a better self and a better world. And then, of course, every Thursday night at 7.15 Eastern time in the evening, there is just a squirrel looking for a nut, which is a philosophy and humor-based podcast that you and I co-host together, Oleg, and that we're going to be having a special guest show up on this weekend. So that's how you can find me. And I would love to talk to anybody as well as to listen to. How can people support you in helping you secure some of these speaking engagements that you're looking for? DM me via LinkedIn or via Instagram or reach out to me through the speaker, Scott dot com website and we will talk about how i can really provide enlightening entertaining and substantive value to the speaking event that you or your organization is looking to facilitate hmm. well thank you both for being a part of this i i will also mention and i mentioned this at the beginning the three of us will be a part of an event starting this sunday and then one the sunday after that called Survive to Thrive Attitude of Gratitude. So for anyone that's listening right, right now, feel free to check it out. There will be the three of us who facilitate the conversations around, similar to the one that we had today, how do you develop resilience through gratitude, grieving through gratitude, and then also just the mindset. And I think there's something that, Casey, actually you touched upon that one of the first conversations that we had was looking at life through the lens of miracles. I found that to be a very fascinating concept because it you do have a choice, in my opinion. You have a choice in how you look at it, 
Uh, otherwise, events are just events. Experiences are just experiences. But you have a choice in which meaning that you choose to associate with each and every single one of them. It, it gives you your power back. And that's something that we'll talk in much more detail uh, when we come to uh, Survive to Thrive. I'm excited about it. No, thank you. Well, thank you both for being a part of it. Thank you to Annie, Emily, Melody, and Richard Marks, Kara, and so many others that were able to contribute and, and really make this conversation into uh, a time or a space where I lost track of time for a moment. Let me put it to you that way. <laughs> but I think that's the beauty. I, I think that's the beauty of, of having conversations like this where you might have an overarching theme but you never know where it's going to take you because there's so many great minds that are a part of this particular space in this, in any given moment. That was, thanks for having me. I was honored. Always, always just so much fun and always an honor to, to be here and took a lot of notes from, from both of you. So re really appreciate it. Like, thank you, Scott. Yeah. My mind is blown. My brains are splattered on the floor. I'm going to have to clean them up for hours <laughs> afterwards. And it's all because of you too. Oleg, yeah. it's always a deep privilege to be on your show. Thank yeah. you for having me. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider supporting our cause by making a donation through our website at overcomingodds.today so we can continue creating and sharing these courageous and inspiring conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.